I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Earlier this year, Angela E. Morris published uh, Love Notes to Grievers, Tending to Grief After Loss. It's a unique collection that defies definition. Some of the pieces in the book are essays, while some could be described as poetry. The idea that they're notes is a good one, because they could easily have been jotted down in haste, as they're often brimming with wisdom, comfort, and reflection. This interview with Ms. Morris taped this past June is a conversation about the book, as well as the grief that our culture doesn't really let us get a chance to talk about. We'll look at the so-called stages of grief and how those steps might not be applicable or an appropriate way to deal with all grief. I'll ask Angela about what uh, we might do when somebody we know has suffered loss and what words might be useful or comforting. As you'll hear, Angela began thinking about this book following the quick succession of deaths in her family, her father, a friend, and her grandmother. You can visit Angela's website at AngelaEMorris.com or her Instagram Angela Emma Morris. This uh, book is published by Ponal Street Press. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Angela Morris. Ms. Morris, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, so w- when I'm reading the book, um, I feel like I'm intruding on something personal, something intimate. Um, not all the time, but at times. Um does writing a book like this, does this help you at all? Yes, I think that's the part of my writing that I, that's the feedback that I receive a lot of is that it's so raw and that it's so intimate that I do, like, because I share the things that most people don't share. I kind of out myself in a lot of ways that it's just like, here's how I was messy and here's how it really went wrong for me. I think a lot of people that, you know, want to talk about this, want to skip right to the silver lining or skip right to, these are the lessons I've learned. And I'm like, I want to talk about, (laughs) I want to talk about the process and and how hard this is. And I think that that's why uh, my writing sort of like reaches into someone's soul and says like, what does this mean for you in your own life? I hope anyways, I hope that's what comes across that way. So yeah, it does help me process the pain and I know that it's not just me going through it and I think that's what gets me through these type of things is like I'm going to write about it but I know that there's going to be other people going through the exact same thing maybe a little differently of course but similarly right yeah and it, it is a long process isn't it and it's a messy process at times and I think that that's um you suggested a moment ago that that uh, we don't like talking about this, and and I think that's probably one of the reasons why we don't like uh, contending with grief as as we should, is that um, we don't want to deal with the length, or the the messiness of it. Yeah, I think that the thing with grief is that it's forever, and mm. there is no endpoint to grief, and learning to be with it and grow around it is something that we're not taught in society. Like, culturally, we think, okay, this is something we need to uh, get over and be strong about. And uh, I just really think that that's a detriment to culturally and, like, in community because it breaks my heart to hear how many people lose friendships like myself and uh, lose partners or lose 
full friend group because people don't know how to act around someone that's sad. That's there's something deeply flawed. Like we are failing people if that's the common theme that I'm hearing from other grievers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's deeply concerning to me. <laughs> I'm sure for you hearing that, right? Yeah, indeed. And and our, our culture has a lot to answer for. I mean. Um, I should have looked this up before we started, but, you know, I guess we are allowed at our jobs, um, most of our jobs, I should say, because not all of our jobs are the same, um, or or, um, um, that we don't have the same rules for a lot of the work that that a lot of us do. Um, We're allowed a, a, um, I don't even know what it's called, a time... um, Oh, bereavement leave. Bereavement leave, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's certainly not enough time. Um, I don't care... um, you know who we're talking about um, th- that we're allowed off our, our, our jobs, right? Yes. And um, and it varies for different people. Obviously, as we read in your book, that um, that grief affects all of us differently, and and um, we don't realize that, let alone realize that we need to to say process grief, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you refer in, to it in the book as. Um, this fear of grief that we all have is, is diverting us from grief. Um, what have you found in terms of if you didn't, if you weren't able to to work through the grief that that that, that you had to contend with, um, what that would have meant for your own well-being? Say, I, that's a big question, but I think that's different for everyone based on their upbringing. And but for me, I mean, I think that looks like you know, feeling traumatized and not being able to feel joy and, you know, grief and joy are on the same sort of spectrum, right? Yeah. So it's like if you don't feel your your grief, then you can't feel the joys of life. And I think that if I would have let this swallow me, I think that I probably would be, you know, isolating and sitting at home and, you know, depressed and things like that. And that couldn't be further from the truth at this point it, in my grief, it's been four years, because I've had to sit with this and find a way to integrate this profound losses. I've had three losses, my dad, my friend dying tragically, and then my grandma and the pandemic. And, um, you know, that's a lot of compounded grief. Yeah. And I could have let that swallow me, but I just continually went to my therapist and just let myself cry and let myself feel these things. But you know, I think a lot of people, you know, I'll speak generally now, you know, some people, you know, who I know in my personal life, like, who uh, are drinking too much or uh, things like where you're trying to stuff down your pain and what that actually looks like, uh, broken relationships and things like um, outbursts. And I mean, that did kind of happen to me at the beginning, and you uh-huh. can read that in the book, yeah. but... You know, I, I took responsibility for that and was like, okay, I clearly need some help here because I'm very overwhelmed. Um, so, and also getting sick, you know, physically, yeah, you know, yeah. you see so many people after a profound loss, they end up getting sick themselves, right? Like, that's something we need to start talking about more, right? Yeah, you just, there's a, there's a section in the book where you describe physically. Um, yeah. What happens, and and I think we we discount that because I think a lot of us think that grief is just in our heads or our hearts even. Um, that uh, 
physically there is something that happens to us during this time. Yeah. And we o- we yeah. always overlook that, don't we? Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's scientific studies have been done on this, and, and the main physicalities of grief are, you know, digestive issues, uh, heart palpitations, headaches, migraines, body pain, things like that, right, where it's, it's a very body-based, somatically somatic experience, right? It's um, You can't separate those things, and I just don't hear enough people talking about what that's doing. So, and, and again, coming back to your bereavement leave, so you have someone die, and then you're back to work a week or three days later. Mm-hmm. The physicality of that, that strain, you're still not completely out of those, like, major... Um, responses to loss right so yeah. <laughs> you're expected to go work like cognitively i couldn't read for like two years yeah. how am i supposed to do a job like thank god i'm a massage therapist i use my hands to work but you know if i were to be you know a desk job or something where it was like a heavy strain cognitively i don't i probably would have to quit my job right yeah, these, these these are things that that um, as I was reading the book that I thought about a lot, and um, yeah, you you do. Um, there's a there's another scene in the book where um, this comes up, and I forget what the is it the gas man or um, the propane yeah the, the propane the guy man that yeah the propane yeah and and uh, p- people should read the book for that section, but 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 it brings up a point that I was thinking about that how um, we think about one another. And um, how a lot of our interactions during the day um, don't think about another person in that sense. No. Um, and that's it's a big uh, I hate to use that word. It's a big ask for a lot of people to to, to try to, to to make those considerations. But um, I guess we just need to move through the world a little bit better, don't we? Well, I think it's just that I think if we could see each other as deeply grieving beings i think for me now that i've been through this like i'm so much more compassionate you know even to the people that are being rude to me it's Mm. just like oh man that person must have a lot of grief you know it's just changed me in the way that i can let things roll off a lot easier than i did before because i'm like oh man that person is just trying to human they're not okay but you know but i just think that we you know, we collectively are kind of failing each other in that regard where it's just like we, we're we not thinking, oh, what's that person going through? Okay, that person's clearly having a bad day. I mean, maybe their wife died, you know? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. And this is how my brain is now wired. Like, I'm just like, oh, maybe, maybe something happened today. Maybe they're at the hospital. You know, it's yeah, just yeah. something fundamentally has been changed in me um, when you have really tragic things happen in your life. It's just you... You, you know that life is fleeting, mm-hmm. and so you try to treat people as if they, they might have the next tragedy. <laughs> that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I, know that's, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. But, you know, that's kind of how I roll these days. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's not a bad way to live one's life, you know what I mean, or, or not to go through life, I should say, like that, um, yeah. feeling a little bit more for someone else, even a stranger. Um, yeah. it, 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 the the one thing that I think a lot of us know, you know, is this thing that the the uh, the stages of grief, this this model, if you will, of of uh, 
grief, denial, anger, um, leading to acceptance. Um, you write in the book that that, that that model is not necessarily useful for for everybody. Um, well, the mo- the model itself is actually for the dying. Mm. It, it's been deeply misunderstood over time. So that that is actually the model for a dying person, not a grieving person. So what's happened over time is that they've taken something that and my dad went through the the stages of grief just as they are laid out like you just said uh-huh. but he was the one dying it's it's not actually like it doesn't actually work that way for a grieving person i mean you might have some of that stuff i was definitely sure. angry yeah um i think a lot of people do bargain you know why god why why did this happen to me you know things like that sure but it's not all that useful because, again, it's just grief is forever. So it's, it, 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 it kind of sets you up to fail. Um, and then, you you know, say you land yourself in a therapy office that does that kind of grief model. Uh-huh. Um, I've heard time and time again, it's just really not that useful. So, um, yeah, I think it's a deeply misunderstood model. And uh, I made sure to write a little bit about that. Yeah, and getting... And getting away from that is a good start in terms of yeah. how to, to understand grief. Um, yeah. You mentioned finding a, a therapist, um, or, or um, so. So, if you, let's say you you, fi- you find a therapist and, and they use this model, it's probably a, 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 a sign that that um, you probably should engage in, in in a better conversation or just leave. Say, um, finding the right person. I mean, that takes time too, doesn't it? Yeah, I think with therapy and that and. You know, therapy is not the only way to, you know, process loss and and things like that. I'm just used to therapy because it's been something that I've done since I was in my 20s. But, um, yeah, you got to find someone that can validate the experience and go slow with you. Um, You know, not every therapist is is created equal. Uh And, you know, they might not actually know what grief really feels like, like if they haven't lost someone, right? You know, you might be wanting to look for someone that might know loss intimately, that might feel more supportive to you. Um, you know, just because someone's a therapist doesn't mean they actually understand profound loss and grief and what it actually looks like and feels like. Um, but I've found some good therapists, and I don't know their personal story, of course, but yeah. I've found some, some good therapists in the last four years that have been deeply validating and has helped me through kind of the thick of it. So... Yeah, the um, um, I was going to ask you about um, uh, y- your grandmother's death. Um, this this happened. Um, was this at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020? Yeah. So my grandma died not of COVID, but right. during the peak of the pandemic. So uh, my mom was able, thank God to be with my grandma, but in, like, basically a hazmat suit. Right. Um, and my aunt, and that was the only one. So her, their other sister was not allowed in. It uh-huh. was, like, very devastating. I obviously could not be there. I was, they live in Ontario. I was in D.C. Um, so I had to say goodbye to my grandma over the phone. I'm very close with my grandma, so yeah. it was very a difficult goodbye. Um but I also felt for my mom because, like, having to be in that environment um, to say goodbye to your mother is, is extremely tough. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that was my experience with my grandma. It was, it was, I like to be present for people's deaths. Right. I just find it's just more my thing. I don't shy away from this. So to not be able to tend to my grandma was very devastating. To me, yeah. So. And, and so I assume at the time, a, a funeral with, with family, um, that was out of the cards, right? It actually, I was able to fly home, um, but it was a very restricted type funeral. So, I see. Yeah. Uh, like a burial could happen, but there was only a, you know, a, like, I can't remember the numbers right now, but like maybe like 10 people were allowed. Right. And then the rest had to be uh, outside of the funeral grounds in their cars, right? Yeah. Um, and then we all had to go in differently, differently timed and things like that. So, and that was just a year after my dad died. So yeah. <laughs> like, I can't believe I'm at another funeral. This is, and then COVID, of course. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it was extremely disorienting for me. And I'm just so shocked that I was able to get through some of those harder moments. It's like very interesting for me to look back on and be like, how did I do that? You know? Yeah, it's unbelie- and I'm not the only one with that story. Yeah, no, it's and it's unbelievable to really consider the book and and think that yeah, you you had to to, to deal with that um, before that your friend had died, very tragically, and uh, your father before that. Um, it, <laughs> you must ask yourself how you made it through all yeah. of that. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people say, like, the first year is basically you figuring out how to survive something yeah. that feels unsurvivable. But I had three. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, and then COVID, of course. And so, yeah, I look back on that time. And, and, you know, I'm not proud of, like, certain things, you know, I've said to friends and things because I just, I had no capacity, you know, no filter at some point where I was just like... Yeah please leave me alone, you know, and it's, it's, it's out of character for me, but I was just like, I, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> so to have that capacity back feels really good, but I really understand now, you know, when someone is going through something, you know, or like they, they have a, a family member that's dying or actively dying, which I have a friend right now that reached out to me and her mom's dying at like any day now. And I just think back to those moments where you're in the vortex and, and everyone else is just living their life. And it's so surreal. Yeah. If that makes sense to you? Like, it's just like you're live you, you feel split off from the world, right? Yeah, I remember, um, I remember that my, my grandmother died 20 years ago. So I would have been 21. And uh, we uh, brought her to uh, uh, the, the family. We all went after the, the mass to the uh, crematorium. Here in Vancouver, and uh, it, it's in the middle of a cemetery, and um, the, the cemetery is surrounded by by busy streets. And I remember as we were, you know, um, bringing her into the the crematorium, I, I looked over to Fraser and Forty First, and I noticed there was traffic. And I found that odd, in a way. I mean, I've been on that in, in, in that intersection many times over the years, before and since. But but I found that um, I realized that the world was 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 moving on, or, or I shouldn't say moving on. The, the world the world was continuing as it should, mm-hmm. while uh, we were as a family just just contending with this grief, and um, it made you uh, realize, yeah, I've got to go back to work in a few days. Uh, I've got obligations that I need to to, to attend to. 
Um, and so, in a way, the the uh, culmination of all of that, her death, uh, grieving, the funeral, grieving throughout, and then the funeral, and then cremation, um, it, it sort of... It, 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 Bookended in my mind that this was this was a, a, a you know and and it's probably not right to do to do that to think that okay now uh, we've finished the funeral and and family they're all going home now mm-hmm. um, uh, it's finished it, it's not finished is it I mean I'm still talking yeah. about 21 years later right yeah and I and you actually make a really good point and this is where I say and many other people of course not just me the funeral is the beginning of the grief. Mm. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, it's not the end. That's just the beginning of, those are the ritualistic things we do to to usher us in to the grief itself, right? And, you know, that's, I think, again, where we get things wrong, right? It's just like, okay, like, let's just button that up. Got to go to work on Monday. Yeah. Um, and we miss the essence of our grief because we bottle it up and then, you know, grandma's dead. That sucks. Okay, like what what's on what's on the schedule, right? Yeah. Um, and that and that has detrimental effects on people, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's so important that we talk about it, and that, you know that's why I obviously became very loud in my grief because I just saw. Uh, I mean, that's very much my personality, of course, is to like see the thing in culture and be like, "That's messed up." Let's talk about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get real loud about this, you know, to, at nauseum. <laughs> yeah. the, the the funeral part, I I, I found that um, thinking about that interesting because because um, we had a friend die um, rather suddenly about a year ago. So this is twenty twenty two. So we were still in the in the midst of um, we were still wearing masks at that point, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, there, were, there was no limit in terms of gathering indoors or, or um, um, you know, a, a attendance at a funeral or, or anything like that. But, but uh, as I said, we were still wearing masks. And so um, uh, I went to the funeral, and uh, but it was not a um, – because of masks and, and where we were in the, in the pandemic, it was not a thing where, where it, it was easy to go up to people and talk to people and, and, and uh, very much – Groups of people stayed in sort of corners of of the funeral home and the service. That there there was very little interaction, I should say, mm-hmm. um, as there would be say now or before the pandemic. Um, I found it incredibly useful because I went through those stages of uh, when I found out my friend died because uh, I hadn't seen him um, since before the pandemic. You know, I, I went through grief and, and denial and anger and bargaining, um, but but I found um, seeing him laid out there at the funeral home or at the chapel, uh, incredibly useful. Because um, I realized that, yeah, there, there's, there's no sense bargaining anymore, that this is, you know, <laughs> yeah. this, this is it. Uh, yeah. A friend of mine who didn't go to the funeral, I, I thought, um, I really shouldn't say this, but, but I, I don't think they grieved enough mm-hmm. um, because they didn't go to the funeral. Um because we'd, we'd, we'd all been separated from one another because of this pandemic, um, they hadn't seen our friend in a number of years, but had kept in touch over, over texting. Yeah. And um, so, so when I was talking to them about 
our friend or about the funeral, about death. It's uh, the, the loss that we, we all suffered. Um, it didn't seem that they were at the same place I was. And I think I'm at a certain place because I went to that funeral and I, I saw him there, or, or saw our friend there. Yeah, I think you make a good point about attachment and just sort of the how you can kind of think your friend might be on vacation. Right. A little bit easier when you don't see it. And, you know, I obviously was front and center for when my dad died and my grandma, I wasn't. There's something very visceral about being present, like you said, with the funeral or for the being present for an actual death. You, It's something very, it's a gift if you can be there. And, and some people aren't able to, you know, sometimes we have friends that are very avoidant, right? They're just yeah. like, oh, yeah, don't want to touch that, don't want to go to the funeral. It's a form of self-protection, right? Yeah. It's, it's it, you kind of get an idea of what everyone's attachment <laughs> trauma is. I don't know if you're familiar with attachment theory, but, you know, you kind of get an idea of, okay, that, that friend seems to be really avoiding the topic or they're getting deeply uncomfortable and I can see it in their body language. Like they don't really want to talk about your friends or, you know, and that's their journey, right? It's yeah, like yeah. I think that the the fact that you went to that funeral is so brave and so good for you, like you said, because, you know, if you don't go, sometimes that can just kind of leave things in the orbit of yeah. they're dead, but you don't, you don't get any, and I'm not going to call it closure because that's not what it is, you don't get an opening to the grief, and you don't get to have a relationship to the grief because you're just like, oh, I'm just going to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and and I think going to the funeral, I think this brings up another point that you bring up in the book. Um, it's um, knowing what to say uh, to someone who's grieving. Um, yeah. Being present is a big deal, obviously. I mean, it, 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 that's half the battle, if you will. Um, knowing what to say, though, is another thing. Um, you, you talk about that in the book, don't you? you I mean, there are certain things that one should say and things that one shouldn't say, right? Yeah, well, I think... I'm kind of of the camp that you never know because everybody individually is different, right? Mm-hmm. What works for me is not going to work for you or what sure. you find supportive might not be me or whatever. But I think you said it in, in your question. Presence is way more important than words, right? You know, sometimes we overthink the, like, what do I say? Oh, my God, I'm going to say the wrong thing. It's mm-hmm. like, no, just show, just show up. And, and say nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm just here. I'm here for you. This sucks. This is awful. You know, stuff like that, right? It's just like, but the presence piece is key to the support. It's not so much the wording, because the wording will get wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I say the wrong thing still, you know, to certain people. And it's like, oh, shit, why did I say that? I know better. <laughs> right. Like you, I'll never forget the friends that showed up at my dad's funeral. That that literally was the most caring, loving thing they could have done for me is just being like, wow, you actually took time out of your day yeah. to do something deeply uncomfortable, <laughs> you know. Um, so you never forget that. And the people that check in, you know, yeah. it, it, that's all it is, is. I'm just checking in, you know. And, and um, one thing that I will say, and mm-hmm. I think that it's probably important, is 
don't be the friend that says, if you need anything, let me know or call me. Mm. No grieving person I know, you know, in the history of grieving people, ever calls someone to, they just don't do it, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. they're not going to do it. You you have to offer something and and stick to your guns on that rather than, oh, if you need anything, let me know. No. <laughs> Yeah. No grieving person is thinking, oh, yeah, I'd love for you to cook me a meal, or I'd love, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Rarely happens. Indeed, indeed. Um, you mentioned uh, Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking. Um, it's obviously not the first book on grief, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a book that a lot of us picked up. And, and uh, for, for a lot of people, the first one that we, we read on grief, what, what, what did that book mean to you? Yeah, I read that right after my dad died, um, so it meant a lot because Didion talked a lot about just the shock of it and being in that grief vortex, I call it. Mm-hmm. it you're just in a blur, and you kind of remember having conversations with people, but you kind of don't because you're literally in a vortex of grief. Um, I think she does such a good job of you know, painting the picture of being at the hospital and just, you know, running into my baseball coach and being like, yeah, my dad almost died tonight. Uh, how are you? Mm. You know, things like that. Like, I think she just does a really good job of eloquently painting the, all of the different things that are going on for you and, you know, having to clean up the, the part where he, I can't remember this part, but I think he, you know, where he fell and mm. where, where he had his heart attack and yeah. having to be like, oh, he, that's where he just died. You know, things like that, right? I think she did a great job of, I just really felt that she understood grief, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I meant to look this up before we started when that book came out. It's probably more than 15 years now. Yeah, and, I can't remember. And I remember, yeah, I I read it uh, when it came out because I'd saw, seen an interview with her on television, and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, I thought she was fascinating uh, more than anything. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that that has stayed with me uh, since I first read the book is the idea that um, you you can't really function after uh, a death, and 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 in in one's grief, you you can't do simple things. And and one of the things that she said. Um, she didn't even think about was that the pe- people would bring food over and and the, the best thing to eat was congee because it didn't yeah. um it didn't really taste like anything and and yet one needs that sort of nourishment and uh it's something that you can just put in front of you or someone will put in front of you and you'll just eat it without thinking and and um you know you, you it, it's something one needs yeah i i really resonate with that because eating became by the time my dad died I was 98 pounds Mm. so like I kind of was so stressed that I you know so food was a big thing you know in my healing Mm -hmm. or in my grieving process was I need to eat (laughs) because yeah and I think like a lot of our neighbors brought stuff over and um, I thought that was really kind and people you know with baskets and things like that yeah really really a kind gesture it's not for everyone and this is the thing where i say like everyone is individual some people can't some people don't want food yeah i personally think it's like the kindest i mean i'm i'm a 
have roots, <laughs> Italian roots, so I'm like, that's my love language. Give me food <laughs> and I'll love you forever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some other people might find that overwhelming, right? Like, it's too much. It's too much food. So it, it's, it comes back to that, just that individual knowing, knowing your person who's grieving. Yeah. Asking questions like, do you want me to bring over food or are you like, do you just want to want a gift card like for whatever you want and like you want to be left alone you know i yeah. think it's just really being kind and and being in knowing your person right angela i hate to ask this question but just pondering grief as you have and writing this book now um do you think that'll make future grief easier i think that the shock the i not that the worst is over, but no, no, yeah, I do think it. I think that every grief is different, but I think I know this feeling and it's not going away. So by the time my grandma died, I was just like, okay, that's what that feeling is. I'm not scared of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I can live with grief. I know that, you know, it, I think when you have like a a tragic loss like I did, and then my dad dying of cancer in such a short succession. Just like, you know, just really feeling through, you know, uncertainty and grief. But I had, a, I felt like I've, I've, I'm here and I am, I live this now. So I think for losses, I will feel them equally, but I'm not scared of the feeling anymore. Yeah. And and the thing that I kept wondering, or not wondering, but thinking about as I was reading the book, was was um, whether um, one's better prepared for one's own death. Is that something that that you've been thinking about as, as you were going through all of this? I love ta- I love thinking about my death. <laughs> it sounds weird, but it makes me want to live. Mm. And yeah, it has changed me in that way. Where you know, my mom and I both like we talk about. My mom will literally help people with their wills now. Yeah. She'll, you know, like her her brother, like, didn't have a will in place. And, like, her new boyfriend, like, she was just like, you have to have this stuff. you got to look at this, you know. So I just, like, really appreciate the way my mom and myself, we want to talk about our death. We want other people to talk about our death because that makes you live. It's beautiful. Like, yeah. so, yeah, I'm not, like, afraid of death. I... I I'm living a beautiful, simple life with my partner. Um, And, yeah, it's just like once you've seen death a few times, it's just like, yeah, we're all doing this. (laughs) um, I think that can go differently for other people. I think it can really scare people. Sure. I think that's when, like, you know, pathology does come into place, when you get really uh, scared of other people dying. I mean, I did have that in the sense where I would like look at my partner's chest and be like, is he breathing? You know, you're acutely aware (laughs) of that, you know, like that anyone can die. And, but I don't let that swallow me. I literally let it drive me to live a beautiful life. Well, this is a beautiful book, Angela. You've um, given us words, language for grief. And I, I think, um, a lot of readers will, will feel validated, um, having read your book and, and all the feelings that it stirs in them. Uh, I so appreciate your time today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Congratulations and, and continued good luck with the book. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. 
The website for more is at AngelaEMorris.com. Her Instagram is at Angela Emma Morris. The book is called Love Notes to Grievers, Tending to Grief After Loss. It's uh, from Pownall Street Press. It's uh, author Angela E. Morris joining me on the line from Victoria in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planton.